Hi, welcome to Canna Confidential. I'm your host, Jewel Peter, and on this podcast, we discuss the state of the cannabis industry, as well as any insights we feel might be valuable to our listeners. So without further ado, we'll get to the content. Thanks for joining us. We're going to switch things up a little bit because we've noticed that there are changes to the industry happening almost every day, realistically. And we feel that while everyone is busy running our cultivations, getting those up off the ground, compiling all their information for Health Canada, it's really important to stay on top of what's happening in the industry. So we are going to start incorporating more aspects of uh, a current conversation into these trainings. So with that being said, we're going to start with uh, a CBC article that I read earlier this week. And what they touched on was that before and after legalization, there was a lot of buyer beware advice that was out there. And that's because we were in a new market and nobody really knew what was going on exactly. And the Government of Canada's database of safety alerts for cannabis still shows that there are contaminated products and inaccurately labeled products currently legally available for sale. And obviously that's a problem. Things need to be uh, properly regulated. They need to be properly labeled. And this is exactly why we have the regulations in place that we do and why they're currently working on better and improved regulations. So what what does that mean for us as craft cultivators? Well, what that means is that we have a responsibility to take the products that we are growing and to take consumer safety very seriously. You have to think about the fact that the product you are producing is going into someone's body. So that's why these regulations are in place. And that's why it's really important that we meet the regulation standards that have been set forth and ultimately really exceed them. As a craft cultivator, you probably already want to produce product that is way above and beyond the current marketplace standard, and you want to grow a product that is really going to help people, whether they're using it recreationally or medically. And so with that being said, you already want those standards that people are going to come to know and identify with your cultivation and ultimately your brand. And we'll touch a little bit on marketing later in the call, but it's important to remember these standards moving forward because it's really how it's the foundation of your business. And we have a unique opportunity as micro cultivators to really set a standard for what quality cannabis looks like. And so we want to take that opportunity really seriously because people will start looking to us because not only do we care about running a successful business, but we really care about the quality of the plants and the quality of the product produced for both the recreational and medical users of our product. And this is the reason for having really solid standard operating procedures. Everything that you do in your cultivation should be documented. And that's so that if something occurs that you don't like the result, you know how you got there. And conversely, if something occurs that you do really like the result of, like you produce an excellent harvest and you tried something new, you want to make sure that all of that has been documented so that it can be recreated time and time again, especially if you come up with an excellent growing method in addition to a great yield. Your customers are really going to appreciate that and your bottom line is definitely going to appreciate that. And so it's really important that you document 
every step of every procedure that happens within your grow. And yes, okay, documenting how to properly wash your hands might seem a little bit basic, but it's, it's really just an insurance policy. That's what you can think of your standard operating procedures are. They're your first line of defense to make sure that your, your employees are following the standards that you have set forth and that things are being documented to your standard. And ultimately, you really just want to think of your customers almost as shareholders, really. I mean, they have no, they do have a stake in your business in that they determine whether or not you're successful, but they have a stake in your business because they're ingesting your product. So you really want to think of them as, you know, almost like a partner. If you produce something really great, they're going to come back time and time again. And remembering that all of your customers are human beings. They're someone's mother, someone's son, a brother. They are human beings. And you want to make sure that you are respecting that fact when you're creating a product and doing so with the utmost, uh, upholding the highest standards is really what I'm trying to say. So now we're going to get into the newly legalized product of edibles and uh, some of the amendments to Health Canada regulations regarding edibles. So Cheryl, did you want to take us through some of those things? Sure. Everyone's really excited about edibles are <clears throat> coming online tomorrow. And some of the, uh, the rules and regulations that uh, Health Canada has already established um, regarding the use of, of edibles and producing edibles, um, the, the, the packaging will have to be done that it's not attractive to children. There will be limits on the amount of THC that's in the, in the product. So um, right off the hop, Health Canada will be restricting the use of ingredients that could appeal to uh, the taste of edible cannabis um, and increase the risk of foodborne illness that would encourage overconsumption. So uh, restricting the use of ingredients will, will be things that would appeal to children. Uh, increase the risk of foodborne illness would be something that, and I, this one I'm having a little trouble with myself. I mean, I could see if it was going to involve, you know, chicken or meat or pork or something like that. But um, in all instances, Health Canada will regulate the all the contents, all the ingredients that go into your um, edibles and anything that encourages overconsumption. So I think that that's probably speaking to the labeling. Um, Health Canada will be placing a limit of 10 milligrams on the amount of THC that can be in a package of edible cannabis. And of course, they will require the child-resistant and tamper-proof plain packaging for edible cannabis to lower the risk of accidental consumption and make the, ch the packaging less appealing to children and, and younger people that are under the age of 18. Uh, the label will have to display the standardized cannabis symbol. You've seen that. It's the, the circle with the green cannabis leaf on it. Um, and, and it will also have to include a health warning and uh, there will be restrictions. It, it will actually be prohibited to make any claims regarding any health benefits or nutritional benefits. And I believe it's also going to address um, uh, cosmetic uh, ingredients that you can't make false claims as to, 
you know, some sort of benefit that um, the creams and salves will have too. Um, there will be, they'll be putting in place some strict new manufacturing controls uh, regarding the production of edible cannabis to reduce the risk of foodborne illness and, and to control the quality of the products. I believe that's probably going to involve the actual production where it'll uh, involve things like, you know, a stainless steel kitchen and uh, health Canada will also be prohibiting the production of food and cannabis in the same facility to ensure the safety integrity of the, of the Canadian food system. So I believe that, uh, if you are using, uh, if you're preparing edible cannabis in an edible form, you won't be allowed to um, do it in the in in the same facility where they're preparing, say, restaurant meals at the same time. I believe there will probably be a point where you'll be able to rent a facility from a from a commercial kitchen facility i.e. a restaurant that is closed down between the hours of, say, midnight and 5 a.m. You might be able to rent a facility then. Um, it's going to be interesting to see what Health Canada has to, has to come aboard with, um, with the, uh, the, all the production with edibles. Yeah, and I think just to touch on the foodborne illness, uh, I was considering this when I read the regulations, and I think there are two ways in which we can better understand what Health Canada is trying to say. And that's that uh, with, in regards to something like kombucha, it, it has sort of a fermentation process. So for people who are looking into cannabis beverages, that's the sort of foodborne illness that they would want to maintain control over, something that there might be live culture or live bacteria, and they would want that uh, controlled in some way, the same way that it is for something like kombucha. And the alternative is that um, for something that would be a baked good, that would also be an edible, all of those ingredients have expiration dates. So to prevent foodborne illness, there will still be the standards of, you know, everything will have to be labeled and dated with some sort of expiration, because while the cannabis might not be carrying any foodborne illness after being tested to ensure that it doesn't, some of the other ingredients that would be used might not be able to sit out um, without being refrigerated, or they might have an expiration date, just like any brownie or cookie or something like that would. So I think that's really what Health Canada is referring to in regards to the foodborne illness. It's it's really just thinking about the fact that it is an edible product, so it it very closely is related to food safety standards and that foodborne illness will be something that everyone will need to consider if you are moving into the edibles market. So the next thing that we're going to talk about is that was also legalized very, very recently is vaping. And so as a policy, we at Grow Your Own Cannabis are encouraging our clients to at this time not get involved in the vaping market for uh, two main reasons. The first being that um, it's there are a lot of health problems currently with vaping that they cannot determine where exactly the problem is coming from. There are current claims that it's something to do with the cartridge, but uh, there's no guarantee that that is what it what the cause of the problems are and the health scares that are continuing to unfold. So that's one reason that we encourage people to just hold off on getting into vaping products. But the second reason is that, and I guess it's somewhat contingent on the first reason, and that's that it can really seriously tarnish your brand reputation if you get into the vaping market and then 
one of your products is linked to somebody developing something like popcorn lung or you know, it damaging the lining of someone's lung, that's really something that as a business you can't really recover from if someone dies from using your product. So obviously that would be uh, to be avoided at all costs. And so given the current state of the vaping products, we are encouraging clients to hold off until there's more information or a known safe way to produce these products. And if you are interested in selling and producing oils, which uh, many people are, there are other ways other than vaping that people can ingest these products without the risk that comes associated with vaping. So if that's something you're interested in, consider producing capsules as an alternative because a lot of people, it gives you a very similar effect without the risk of uh, damaging your lungs that is currently associated with the, the vaping market and ultimately associated with the cannabis oil that is used in vaping. So now we're gonna touch on topicals, which also are part of this very new legalization. And I'll just go over the regulations that have been added to as an amendment to Health Canada. And then um, all of this is available on Health Canada's website as well if you wanted to see this information for yourself. So the, uh, the regulations regarding topicals are restricting the use of certain types of ingredients, uh, placing a limit of 1,000 milligrams of THC in each package of cannabis topical. So that would mean if you were producing, let's say, a body cream, there could only be 1,000 milligrams of THC per packaged uh, product. So in each, um, if you were putting it in like a jar or a lotion bottle, it could be max 1,000 milligrams. And then obviously still requiring the child resistant and plain packaging for topicals of cannabis. And that's because they just really want to prevent people who are underage and not fully able to make informed decisions about the consumption of cannabis to prevent them from doing so accidentally. And all packaging is required to display the standardized, standardized cannabis symbol and a health warning message as well. And you must prohibit any claims respecting health or cosmetic benefits on the label. Um, a lot of people who are users of cannabis already understand the benefits and, and have done their research about why they would be acquiring a product with cannabis in it as a topical already. So in a lot of cases, that's not um, putting your the claims about health on the product isn't really necessary because nine times out of 10, the consumer either already knows what they're looking for or they want more information from uh a secondary source or a human being rather than just reading a label on a product. And that goes into your marketing as well. And we'll touch on that later in the conversation. And the last uh, regulation that they have currently added is placing strict new manufacturing controls for the production of cannabis topicals to control the quality of the product. So that means that uh, as with producing edibles, you will have to produce your topicals in an environment that is, uh, meets a certain safety regulation and health standard because while it's not being consumed, it's still something that people are placing on their body. And technically cannabis is falling into a medical grade sort of area when it comes to cosmetics and topicals because people are seeking it out for the health benefits, although we can't put that on the packaging. So that's why the standard is in place uh, in the same way that it is for edibles. So now we're going to go back to some of the industry research that we have been doing and through communicating with colleagues in the industry, uh, we're going to touch on why 
why LPs are struggling at this point in time. And then we're going to move into why being a micro cultivator is the perfect place to be right now. Cheryl had to step out, unfortunately, but uh, she'll be back with us next week. So no worries in regards to that, but I'll move on with what's not working for LPs. So the problem with LPs is they're getting too big too fast. And they really started that way to begin with. So just like anything, uh, if, for example, if you consider a ship like the size of the Titanic, it's very hard to get a ship that size or really any like a cruise ship that would be of a similar size. It's very hard to get something that big to move quickly. And that's what happens when you build something that big is being nimble is just not really part of the procedure. And uh, LPs are having a difficult time competing with the black market because, well, the black market has been in place for decades and uh, they have so much more variety. LPs are really only able, I mean, they're just so new that they've only been able to do a few harvests, even moving at the pace that they have, they still are only producing a few of the strains that the black market has already in spades. And in addition to that, the black market has many, many, many other strains that the LPs are not producing. And that leads to our next point of why LPs are having a difficult time. And that's because there's not enough access points for consumers. So there's only so many legalized stores in each province. And um, in Ontario, we have the Ontario Cannabis Store online that people can purchase from. But again, the strains that are available on the legal side of things are limited when you're looking at the black market. And so for people who are newly coming to use cannabis, um, it's they might be fine with the strains that are available, but also there's not enough product for every single person who might want to try cannabis. And that's why the LPs are, they're struggling because they're not able to keep up with the demand. And, uh, and also the market is just so new that the expectation is that they be able to meet all of the criteria, but it's, uh, it's such a fast moving industry at this point because the landscape is changing so quickly. And that's to be expected with an industry this new, but it's just not something that, uh, that they are prepared to do, really. I mean, if you think about something like soft drinks or pop, that market has been around for so long, they already know what needs to be done in terms of safety standards. They already know roughly what the, the demand is going to be on a quarterly and then yearly basis for their product. Whereas with cannabis, it's, it's still very much unknown because the market is so new. And that's really why LPs are struggling is they got too big too fast. They're having difficulty competing with their lack of variety with the black market. And there just aren't enough access points for consumers. And that leads us to why being a micro cultivator is the perfect place to be right now. And this is all supported by uh, research that I've done, but it is also my personal opinion. So just take that into consideration uh, as well. But so being a micro cultivator, you are small and nimble. You can make changes very quickly. You can reposition yourself. You can pivot as a business. There's so many things that a smaller business can do that, uh, that an LP can't. And that's, and an LP is just a licensed producer. 
And that's really the key with, with so many businesses in this digital age that we're in is small businesses can sometimes be much more successful than large businesses because they can adapt so quickly to a changing landscape. It's very easy to adjust. If Health Canada comes out with a new regulation or a new standard, a microcultivator will have a much easier time implementing any of those changes into their business than an LP would because, as I said, they have so many moving parts, so many employees, so much space to cover that it, it can be difficult for them to make any changes, let alone a big change. The other thing to consider is that this is a marathon and not a sprint. And if you know me, you have heard me say this more than once, but people are typically somewhat short-sighted in, in just in life in general. And it's really important to maintain perspective, especially in this industry and this business. Uh, this industry is so, so, so new. It's in its infancy when it comes to being legalized. And uh, that's like, yes, the industry has been around for, you know, absolutely decades, perhaps even longer than that. And it's just becoming legal now. And so that's why it, the market is in it's very, very early stages of life. Uh, just to give an example of another professional's opinion, Bruce Campbell from Stonecastle Investment has said that everyone is so negative on what's happening, um, but he feels that it's going to turn because this will be one of the fastest growing businesses in the next 10 years globally. And that's because although people you know, can say that Canada uh, didn't go about putting the proper regulations in place prior to legalization, that doesn't mean that we weren't still one of the very first people to do it. And so I think a lot of people are still looking at Canada and will be using Canada as a model in a lot of cases of how to, in addition to California and uh, Oregon and other industry leaders who have already legalized. But although the regulations might not be what some people anticipated, we are still ahead of the market because we were one of the first to do it. So if we do it well, we can really be one of the big players in this industry for a very long time. And so that just brings me back to the point about it's not a sprint, it's a marathon. This is a business and, you know, 10 years in terms of business it can be a very long time or it can be very short. And really it depends on how, uh, how successful you are and how willing to move with the landscape you are. And as a, as a craft grower, this is excellent news because that's exactly what small businesses excel at is uh, reading the landscape and then making changes accordingly to move forward with agility and agility that the bigger players just don't have. So now we're going to touch on uh, the marketing. And marketing is, is something that is crucial to any business. And so I'm just going to briefly touch on it because really we could do a whole multiple trainings on the marketing of a cannabis business and uh, because there's a lot of regulations around how you can market and there are, but there are methods that you can use to market a product without, uh, without compromising any of the regulations of Health Canada. So we'll get into why you need to consider your marketing as you're building your business. And then if you have any questions, feel free to send me an email about it and, and I'd be happy to discuss it further. So why marketing matters? Uh, there are three reasons that marketing really matters. And the first is consumer trust. 
And you need that in any business, but especially in this business, because a client who really likes your product and likes your brand story is going to be a client potentially for life, because this is the kind of product that someone wants a consistent result time and time again. So if you can build consumer trust right out of the gate, then it's really going to serve you as you move into uh, the long-term aspects of this business. And the second reason that it matters is because ethics, and that's consumers want to know what they're getting from a brand and you need to have ethics as a brand. You need to have a mission statement and you need to have a brand story of, you know, why you got into this business and what cannabis means to you and what your brand looks like and how it's different from someone else's. And all of that ties back into your ethics. You need to be a brand with an ethical story and an ethical background because people, this industry is about consumer and product relationships and that there will be many options 10 years from now for people to choose where they want to buy their cannabis but where they're going to choose is ultimately where they have the best experience and the best experience is going to come from a brand that they trust with solid ethics backing them up and that really brings me to my third point which is your long-term success depends on your marketing and so if you build a brand that's based on ethics and building consumer trust, then you've set yourself up for long-term success because people will stay with a brand, even when new brands come on the market with different products, they'll stay with a brand that they trust and that they believe in. I mean, McDonald's doesn't produce the most quality product, but people know what they're getting. And that's why people continue to shop there. And it has produced long-term success for McDonald's and it will continue to produce long-term success results for any brand who follows a similar model of making consumer trust and uh, consumer feedback, really. Making sure that your customers are happy combined with your ethics. And what are the benefits of long-term consistent marketing? Well, the three benefits that uh, we're going to cover today are Brand recognition is the first one uh, and having a story that your consumers know and then ultimately you get success. So let's go back to the first one. Brand recognition. That means that when people see the name of your uh, cultivation that they already associate it with you and your product and the standards and that's building brand recognition and so that means that any time that you are involved with a, a project or an event and your brand is associated with that you want to make sure that it's it's all coherent with the messages that you support and that you want consumers to associate with you and your business and the second part is uh, a story that consumers know. So your brand should have some sort of uh, story of, you know, of why you believe craft cannabis is the best or um, an origin type of story of like why you got into the business and now this is why you produce this particular strain, but a story that consumers can identify with and then they will come to know. And that makes word of mouth business easier as well, because if your story is, um, can be sort of capsulated into a short soundbite, then consumers can share that with other consumers once they become passionate about your product. And that leads to our third point, 
which is ultimately success. So brand recognition is something that every brand needs to have. And you can start that very early on by just branding yourself and then creating, or it's not even creating, it's really just formulating the story of where your brand came from, why you decided to do it and why people should care and how it serves them. And that ultimately will lead to the success of, of long-term consistent marketing because that's what consumers need is something they're familiar with, but that uh, still is exciting and interesting to them. And that's kind of where the story comes into play. And the final point of marketing is that we're covering in today's training is what kind of brand do you want to be right at these beginning stages of your cultivation is when you need to decide what kind of brand you want to be. You don't want to be a brand that uh, isn't, that isn't ethical that people associate with things that um, wouldn't benefit you for your long-term success. You want to be the kind of brand that people look forward to working with, that your customer service is something that you excel at. And all of this is up to you, but ultimately for the success of your brand, you need to determine what kind of message and what kind of brand you want to be right out of the gate. And obviously that's completely adjustable as your brand matures, but just having a plan is you're already 10 steps ahead of your competition. And the final note that I want to touch on today is something that's very current in the industry right now. And then a couple of solutions as well that, uh, that people have, have come up with. So Canadians are currently having an issue with banks not wanting to work with licensed producers. And this is kind of a short-term growing pain. It's not something that's going to be a problem long-term, but banks are, are essentially saying they don't want to work with cultivators and they're charging them exorbitant fees to get started. And we can all acknowledge that 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 isn't right and that isn't fair. And that's why it won't be a long-term problem, but it is currently for a lot of people. And uh, the reason that the banks are giving is because a lot of them do a lot of banking with the U.S. And because the U.S. has not federally legalized cannabis, the banking sector doesn't want to get their reputation uh, embroiled in any cannabis businesses that might compromise their U.S. Uh, allies and U.S. relationships. And all of that's going to, you know, they can't do this forever because the market is legal. So ultimately, they're going to have to start working with people. And once the U.S. federally legalizes as well, this problem will virtually disappear. But in the short term, it can be it can be difficult for some people. And uh, there is an article in MJ Biz Daily that has talked about this. But I'm going to go over a few of the options that people can explore if they are looking for alternatives. So one bank that has been uh, mentioned is Alternabank, and that's based in Ontario. So for some people, that can be uh, kind of a, a long hike, depending on where you're based out of. But once the initial setup is done, then you don't really have to worry about um, visiting the branch in person. You can do a lot of your banking online, even though it might be a, a bit of a hassle to set up the account. But at least that is an option if you have to have separate banking uh, at this point in your cultivation. The easiest solution 
is to uh, do things personally until the point when you have to have a bank account separate for your business. But the way to do that correctly is to track all of your expenses and track all of your, um, really just track any financials related to the business and track them very well so that when you do open your business, you or your business bank account, uh, you have all of that information already cataloged so that those basically just become part of the um, historical bookkeeping of your now business account. But just keeping track of it is the way to do that most successfully. And then um, the other the other option that a lot of cannabis entrepreneurs are turning to is credit unions. So typically there is a credit union in every um, small town or at least one in the nearest city nearby. And they are much more willing to have a conversation with people who are in the cannabis industry as entrepreneurs and cultivators. And uh, they have been much more receptive to working with people. So that's a great option and resource that you can look into. And not all of the major banks have said, absolutely not. We will not work with people who are in the cannabis space. Uh, They have said that it's on a case by case basis. So, and we know people who have had, absolutely no problem at all working with uh, some of the big banks like TD and RBC with their cannabis business. It really just depends on the relationship you have with the bank already, uh, which bank it is, and obviously all the information you submit to them as a business when you go to open the account. And uh, so it's not saying that that's not an option for you. Uh, It just is something that people in the industry are currently noticing is something that's affecting a lot of cannabis entrepreneurs and cultivators. And so it's important for us to find alternate ways of doing business legally that allow business owners to get done what they need to get done. And there are also, uh, there are also, you know, it's not going to be this way forever. It, this is a short term, as I said in the beginning, this is a short term growing pain that people are currently experiencing as being at the forefront of an industry. It just is somewhat par for the course in these beginning years. Um, But all of these kinks will ultimately get smoothed out. And it's just, it's a bit of a waiting game and being resourceful and being creative with your strategies and finding new ways to do things in a new industry. So that's really everything that we have to cover today. Have you met Mary Jane? Thanks so much for listening. If you have any questions about today's topics or the cannabis industry in general, feel free to send an email to jewel at cwcultivations.com. That's C-W-C-U-L-T-I-V-A-T-I-O-N-S.com.